Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. I am the MMA detective, Mike Davis. Miguel Iterate is by my side. And today's guest, Miguel, we've got none other than Portland's own, well, I should say, kind of a traveler, but made his name in Oregon. We've got uh, Matt Horwich. Matt, thanks. Thanks for coming, man. Right on. Thank you. God bless the multiverse. Good to be here. <laughs> right. So, hey, Matt, Matt, good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. You're one of the, uh, the more interesting characters in mixed martial arts. And your journey into the sport is a lot different than most people's. Why don't you tell us, like, when you were young, your first introduction into the sport? Um, well, I first got started with uh, Hoist and Hori and Gracie when uh, UFC first came out when I was 17. But um, I trained for a couple months, and then I didn't do anything a while. Then I saw UFC still going and making a comeback and got signed up at Northwest Fighting Arts a while. And then I went to Team Quest with Randy Couture and Ed Shortfuse Herman and Matt Lindland and Shale Sonen and Chris Levin. And it was a great team, Dan Henderson as well. Well, why did you not stay in California with Hoist and Horia? What, what turned you off there? Well, it was really expensive. It was like uh, they were the only people to learn jujitsu from. So it was like 250 a week for unlimited classes. 250 a week? Uh, yeah, for the unlimited classes, I think. So I just did like a month there and learned like a foundation of jujitsu. So you're cool. talking $1,000 a month is what it cost. Yeah, back then the Gracies were like the only ones that knew it. Oh shit! That's good. Now, didn't you? Uh, didn't you? Because you're from the Northwest, didn't you run into like the Matt Hume crew, uh, like Dennis Hallman, Anthony Hamlet, and those guys? Yeah, I've trained with them as well. Um, I've trained with Dennis Hallman. I trained at AMC with Matt Hume a while and Josh Barnett. Uh, some at uh, a couple years ago when I was with Jerome LaBanner and went by Eric Olson's gym, Josh Barnett, that is. Um, I trained with Matt Hume. I trained with Team Quest more, though. Right, right. So you wound up over at Team Quest. That room was pretty intense. Were they accepting of you at first, or did it take a, for you a little bit to prove yourself? Uh, it took a while to prove myself. I uh, left and went to AMC and then came back. Um, Matt Linlin, uh brought me back and um, showed me a lot of cool stuff. It was uh, He brought me back after I did a fight and fought uh, Shane, Shane Davis and Dennis Holman's show. Right, right. So let, let's start with your first fight. So when we look at the totality of your record, before you even get to the IFL, so essentially you do the independent grind, IFL, and then UFC. Before you even get to the IFL, about 80% of your independent grind, about 70% of your independent grind is with future UFC vets. Like, you didn't have many soft fights. Yeah, 
Yeah, the first fight, Corey Davila and Dennis Holman show. He went on to UFC, did pretty well. Um, also fought Crystal Miranda. Matt, let, let's just kind of go through it. You've got Corey Davila. Uh, Davila. He's one of Dennis Holman's training partners. It's your first fight. Did you know how just profound mixed martial arts would be in your life when you took this bout? Well, um, not exactly. I just, uh, my first fight was the one I was the least nervous for because I had a lot of guys not show up that when I was supposed to do my first fight. So I was just like, thank God the guy finally showed up. And um, Corey got a good hip throw on me. I threw some pretty good uppercuts in that one. And um, I won by rear naked choke. Take down and ground and pound and rear naked choke. And, and who, who's in your corner then? Who, who's your corner man? Like what? What? What team were you with up for that first fight? That fight, uh, my boy TJ cornered me. Okay. Um, he trained with Dennis Holman a little bit. I got you. Okay, so it was more so, small let me stuff. Go. Let me go. They had Dennis Holman show. Dennis Holman's teammate. Dennis Holman's bloody cornering him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, know was this the was this the shows that we've heard about with, with Holman, where you know there may have been beer drinking between rounds and that sort of stuff? And I, I know you usually, you know, you were a purist, kind of like a martial artist from the beginning, but some of those shows were crazy. Yeah, um, I didn't really see any beer drinking between rounds. I don't. I didn't really go out that night or anything. Um, I've been to a couple of the after parties with, with Dennis Hallman, but that night, uh, I didn't. We just uh, went back, I think. Okay. Okay. So, Corey Davila, you get your hand raised on a finish. Um, did you think that this is it? You're dedicating yourself to this sport because your pace after this in regards to the, how often you took fights was, was pretty intense. Yeah, once I got back with Team Quest, uh, they gave me a lot of fights. Um, after the Shane Davis one, I got the win against Casey Uscola by armbar. Well, and, well Matt, let, let's look at this. So it's September 6, 2003 is your first fight against Corey Davila, future UFC vet. Shane Davis is coming off of win against Ed Herman, future UFC vet. It's another Dennis Hallman training partner. You're on Dennis Hallman's show. And I think Matt Lindland at the time was cornering Ryan Schultz and wound up in your corner for that fight. Yeah, yeah that's, that's correct? true. That's okay. correct. Okay, so why don't you take yeah. us through Shane Davis? That fight, I came out and uh, I was newer to the sport, so I just tried to throw like a bunch of jabs to see what to set up. And uh, Shane Davis punched me with a good right hand when I was uh, went out and just tried to jab. So then we ended up uh, grappling. I'd cross sides position, got some advantageous uh, positions, but I wasn't able to get the submission because I wasn't experienced enough yet. Okay. So you get a draw against Shane Davis. 
Go to Desert Brawl where you fight Rich Guerin. And with Rich Guerin, you take your first loss. Yeah, inexperience. Uh, well, was, Guerin, was Guerin another training partner? Because uh, Guerin was also part of Hallman's crew. Was yeah. he someone you knew? Yeah, that was at the Desert Brawl on J.T. Taylor's show. I got you. Speaking of J.T. Taylor, what was uh experiences with him? I know he's pretty outspoken. J.T. Taylor, I never had a problem with him. He was always cool enough to me. Him and Matt Linlin uh, had their big drama more with uh, J.T. Taylor. I don't think Matt Linlin cared that much. So, you know, for those that are following our podcast, J.T. Taylor is the guy that Lytle said uh, was kind of hounding him, talking tons of trash, and he said he, this is the first time he ever fought angry was against J.T. Taylor. Um, how was how was Dennis Hallman as a promoter? Uh, Dennis Hallman was always cool to me. Um, as a promoter, his show's always been good. Um, I don't think it got like uh, as big as Sport Fight, Matt Linland's show, but he always put on solid shows for fighters to get some experience. And... Now, now, Matt, Matt, I know you know. I know you and Dennis go way back. And uh, we've interviewed Dennis too. Now, there, there were times when you guys like went to parties together, like lived near each other, went to parties together. And he actually t- told us a story where he kind of got into a fight with you and your friend, and he was there with Benji Raddick. Did you guys have a fight at a party at one time? Yeah, that's true. Dennis Holman choked me out at the party um, because uh, my friend TJ just asked if I wanted to roll with Dennis Holman. So I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that'll be cool. Roll with the best. That'll be fine. And uh, Dennis, I wasn't aware Dennis Holman was kind of pissed off about it. And uh, so he choked me out. And then I woke up and he was uh, kicking TJ because TJ armbarred him uh, off of me. And then I said, um, all right, settle down. Don't make me make you choke me out again. And then uh, <laughs> then everything just settled down. And that was what happened. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I got mad because Dennis Holman on the interview was uh, saying, like, I was like, no, like a bitch or something. And that's not what happened. It is what happened. He choked me out at the after party. <laughs> that's cool. Well, Matt, I-, I will tell you. We're going through your record. I like to go slow on your record because the intensity and insanity of the level of your opponents is there's very few people that come on this show that have fought the quality of opponents that you have before you even made it to the big show. It's pretty impressive. So, oh, yeah, 50 Fight Club member. You know, 50 I fight, mean, absolutely. You don't get the 50 fights without putting in a grind at some point. So, Matt's fighting once a month, September. October 25th, November 8th, Rich Guerin. December 13th, you got Chael Sonnen and Kevin Keeney's show. You're on Full Contact Fight Federation against future Bellator veteran Casey Uscola and future team Alpha Male coach, one of their head coaches. Yeah, Casey Uscola was a tough fighter. and He had knocked out uh, Gerald, one of the Team Quest guys, really quick in like 30 seconds. So back then, he was just a beast. And um, I got 
I got hit with some pretty good shots in that fight. Um, was able to come back and win by armbar. That yes. one, uh, that was pretty much the story of that fight. Nothing super technical. Well, man, let me ask you, is it, is it is it part of your game plan to like because you're all you know now as a guy who would take damage and then you know catch people later on and stuff? Was that something that you knew was you know that, that was work for you? Well, it kind of had to be because I was good at jujitsu and I'm not as good at slipping as Israel Adesanya. <laughs> so kind of had to be my game plan. My brain cells still work good, though. I still know J.J. Thompson discovered the electron in 1897 with the cathode ray tube. Joseph Neves uh, invented the first photograph in 1725 with a heliograph reflection. It took eight hours to make the first photograph. He reflected it to silver nitrate, which comes from uh, breaking down the silver with sulfuric acid. So my brain cells still work pretty good. Yeah, well, yeah, no, we, we love you, Matt. <laughs> I want to remember things. So, Miguel, as you had said, Casey Uscola essentially tired out from beating on Matt, and Matt got the armbar. Uh, that was kind of the first foray into understanding that Matt was one hell of a nail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the truth of that story. That was uh, back then. I was still pretty green, so I didn't really, uh, I didn't progress as much at jujitsu and everything. But I still but, didn't have a hard bar. But you had you had a hard head. I mean, you were born with that. Like you, you had a good chin. Yeah, yeah. I only was uh, knocked out once, and I wasn't sleeping out. Just uh, didn't intelligently recover. <clears throat> so, so now, now, now check this out. So you got. Bellator, team alpha male guy. That's his fourth fight. His first fight was against Corey Davila, who's future UFC vet. His fifth fight against Boyles. You win by KO. His sixth fight is Josh Berkman, who's nine and one at the time. Yeah, that was a tough fight too. That one I won by uh, triangle armbar. Yeah, now now Berkman's kind of a loudmouth. What was your experience with him go, leading up to that fight? Uh, I didn't have any problem with them. Usually, I think that's just for the press conference. Him and Casey Uscola talked a lot of shit, but that was just them having fun at the press conference, mostly selling tickets. So I didn't have any problem with it. Well, Berkman was 9-1. This is pre-team quest. So you kind of came in as the B-side. And this is also Matt Lindland and Randy Couture's first fight, or their first promotion, I should say. Yeah, the first sport fight. Um, I remember Ryan Schultz, I think, fought Eddie Ellis on that one. Um, I remember I got a, a better transition to to a triangle choke and the Josh Berkman fight. I haven't watched it or thought about that one in particular for a while. Um, I ended up training with Josh. He was my teammate afterwards at Team Quest, and he was always cool. So with Berkman, he's kind of a guy that's almost being fast-tracked to the UFC, even though he's got nine fights already. And it almost as if that you got brought in to be the B-side and like Casey Uscola, 
he made the fatal mistake of just burning himself out on beating on you. Tires out, you catch him in the trap. Yeah. How was uh? One more time, Matt. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, it would have been a better career if I was like Israel had to said, yeah, great at slipping punches, but everyone's got their style to get the win. And uh, submissions, the rear naked choke and survival brought me a lot of wins and joy throughout the years in MMA and grit. Okay. You're muted, Miguel. Yeah, one of the things, uh, Matt, that already jumps out, though, is, you know, Hoist, uh, Hume, you know, Lindland, you learned from the, the, the top-notch names all the way through, and you did have a reputation as being like a sneaky guy, like a submission guy at that point. Were you starting to uh, think about a career at this point? Is that, Or were you still kind of, uh, you know, just uh, taking it fight by fight? That was my first uh, professional, like really official professional fight because Casey Escola, that was like an amateur one where we didn't really get paid or anything on Shale's show. Um, so that was the first like professional victory where I actually got paid. I think it was like a, a few hundred bucks or whatever, but back then that was really cool. <laughs> so, so Miguel. A lot of money in the sport. All right, so he's four one and one with four finishes, and he's got one, two, three next level guys on there, and he finally just got his first paycheck. So you had said in September you were still really green. This is February, and you got four finishes, three by submission. When do you think you finally got proficient at submissions? Well. When I fought in Canada, um, I'll have to look at the record. I really should have looked at it before this. But I forget. Well, we got uh, it, dude. We got you covered. But, um, like, when I fought Jason McDonald, I was pretty good in that fight. That was a really good win by Armbar. Um, and there was another guy I fought in Canada that was from Team Lee Banner, I think. And I started Anthony Ray. My plotters. It's about Anthony Ray. Anthony Ray, yeah. The Anthony Ray one was when I was started really transitioning with Uma Plotters and everything. Before I knew all the stuff from Eddie Bravo. Oh. Okay, so you're 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 four one and one. Let's talk about the gym and team quest, like the room. Who did you gel with the most at practice? Uh, the most in practice, I was uh, probably Ryan Schultz. Me and Ryan Schultz hung out a lot. We were on a lot of the same cards. I mean, obviously, we don't like hang out all the time, any of us, because we do training, train hard, and then everyone wants to go home. They got their families and shit. But I was always, uh, I hung out with Ryan the most, probably. And I hung out with Ed Hermit a lot. He cornered me and uh, was a great help a lot of the time. Um, hung out with Chris Levin some. Met um, Len and Shale. Shale was a big help training and um, always really cool. Um, naturally, I didn't hang out with them a ton outside of training because, like I said, everyone's busy doing their real estate. 
promoting their shows and everything. I hung out with Matt Linlin the most, probably. He was the one that uh, that kind of took me in there and showed me the most. Um, I went to his farm and stuff a lot. And me and Jake Ellenberg worked there, herding the goats and stuff. And that was a pretty funny story. Me and yeah. Jake Ellenberg were both a little bit uh, intimidated by the goats. We didn't know if they could fuck us up or anything. <laughs> How many goats does he have? I think it was like uh, three or five of them. Okay. So you guys, you guys were outnumbered by them. I mean, they they could have been gangbanging. Yeah, it was me and Jake Ellenberg and uh, Tyson Jeffries. Gotcha. We're Wait, three three out you want to go and move the goats? No, I thought you were going to go and move them. <laughs> Tyson Jeffries, the ring announcer? Uh, is he a ring announcer? He fought a lot. I don't know. I think I'm maybe thinking of somebody else. Um, all right. So the question I have is Full Contact Fight Federation is Chel Sonnen, right? He's a promoter? Yeah. He does his first event ever December 13th, 2003. You obviously fought Casey Uscola on it. He throws a second one January 24th. After that, in February, it seems that Matt Lindland and Randy Couture see that he's drawn quite a crowd, and they take you from him, and they start their own promotion. Was there any issues between those two in regards to their promotions? Uh, no, not really, because uh, Ed Herman and everyone moved to Matt and Randy's show. Chael's show was more of an amateur one where he didn't pay anyone. So it was, uh, it was just paying your dues in the sport. I mean, not complaining about it or anything. That's just pretty much the way it worked. When you went with uh, Randy and Matt, you actually got paid and were a professional fighter. When you fought for Chael at Rumble at the Roseland, it was mostly free to get a name for yourself and be on the TV there. Hey, now, I got a question for you. You... You would have been around there, and you would have seen the change in Chael from when, because Chael used to be quite, you know, around the fights, he'd be quiet. He was the kind of guy that, you know, observed things, but he was very quiet. And you watch, it was at those Roseland shows that he kind of became the promoter, wrestler, talker in the ring. Do you describe seeing that? I thought Chael was always good at talking since I was there. Okay. He was always pretty entertaining in the gym and good at talking. I don't remember him being that quiet. Okay. Hey, how influential was Douglas Crosby in uh, curating the, the Chell persona? Well, what about the Chell persona? How, how influential was Douglas Crosby in helping Chell with his persona? That I don't know. Chell never really told me that. Um I mean, I trained with him a lot. He was always really charismatic and funny. Chael's definitely the most charismatic and funny of us. Um, he's like uh, before Conor McGregor or anything. Chael Sonnen's just the best interviews. Chael Sonnen and Mike Tyson, best interviews for sure. Right, right. So Miguel, he fights... Uh... 
February 21st. That, that's with Matt Lindland. He fights a month later. Again, Horace Spencer, you're on a streak. You, you beat him as well. Rear naked choke first round. And then we'll fight April 17, 2004. Glover Teixeira, future UFC world champion. Yeah, Glover Teixeira. That's, uh, that's the toughest opponent I've fought. Glover, it, it was great to see him come back and win the belt at 43. I don't, Jan Blachowicz is my boy too, though, because I trained with Jan in Poland a lot. So I was pulling for both of them, but I was stoked to see Glover uh, win the belt. Hopefully he wins it again in this next fight against Ooh. Jamal. For, for sure. But what? Why don't you talk us through the Glover Teixeira fight, though? Because this is – you got a guy right from Brazil. Uh, he's training with at the pit with John Hackleman. So you got kind of a legendary corner standing across from you at the time. Yeah, Hackleman's great. Uh, charismatic, charismatic, great corner. I always enjoy his posts now and uh, his technique and everything. Glover, uh, that was a tough fight. I made it all three rounds. Didn't get my guard passed or submitted, but uh, got beat up all three rounds. He was strong and quick back then, too. So just so everybody at home can understand about what type of chin Matt Horwich has, Glover Teixeira is known for his power. And if you look at his KO percentage against the most elite of fighters, it's probably... 75 80%, and Horwich ate every single punch to share through and made it to the end of the third round. Yeah, he spun me around with punches. He had uh, he was strong and fast. That was a tough fight. I got guard, I tried to arm bar him. He quit and Jackson slammed me, but uh, still didn't get past my guard. He spun Ed Herman around with punches, too, but Ed Herman was able to get the takedowns and uh, do the right stuff to get the win against him back then. So what's your wrestling pedigree? Where, where do you come from wrestling-wise? Well, I didn't wrestle in high school or anything. All the wrestling I've learned from when I was at Team Quest. And like for a jiu-jitsu guy, my wrestling's pretty good. I can score good takedowns. But for a wrestler, my wrestling sucks. Like uh, It's on my list to get my Greco and wrestling a little bit better for as long as I've known Shale Sonnen and Matt Lindland and Dan Henderson. I was so, talking to Phil about maybe doing the submission grappling, but I don't think they're having it for a while now. What, Mason Fowler? Mason Fowler's looking really sharp. So, in essence, we've got a non-wrestler walking into a wrestler room that's green at submissions, that's got a hell of a chin, and your biggest asset is to take a punch to tire your opponent out. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it got it done. Got me some good victories against big names. Um, like I said, it'd be great to be great at slipping punches and uh, getting the fuck out of the way, like Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya. But it worked and got the job done. Um, I think I know a lot more about kickboxing and movement now that I've been retired from fighting because there's a lot more videos and technical breakdowns on what really, what Israel Adesanya did in the fight and Glover Texiera and Lomachenko and 
uh, Rod Tang and the best Muay Thai guys. I don't know. Maybe I'll do a comeback and put it to te the test sometime. You, no one's exactly what good money offers for fights now, though. Yeah, that's the thing, though. You you know you got that lifelong martial artist. To be, you know, you're you're a lifelong martial artist. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have the next challenge, the next mountain to climb. I mean, you don't want to keep coming back and getting in the ring forever, but I think I've taken enough time away that uh, trying uh, one or two more fights wouldn't really kill my brain cells. So what are you doing for work now, Matt? Uh, right now I'm working construction a lot of the time. I've got some good money saved up. I got 25 grand in the stocks which the stocks are in the shitter now, but that's expected. I don't care if I got to wait five or seven years for them to go back up. I got 12 grand on cash, which I want to get heavier on cash because the smart people are saying the land prices should fall next year with the feds raising interest. So, I mean, I'm working pretty good for what I got to work with. I think I got more in savings than uh, most old fighters. Hey, good for you. Good. Now, there was a rumor. I shouldn't say a rumor. It was something that was being said about you um, in your early career that you were at one time homeless. Is, is that true? Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I camp out now to save money towards getting land. So I do that pretty regularly. You waste a bunch of money on rent towards something you never own. I would rather save up the money towards owning land. And so, so are you living out of a tent then, or what do you mean camping out? Oh, uh, yeah, I camp out in the canyon, and uh, I take a shower at the gym and get a good workout. Actually, somebody hit up message Tent Planet and said it looked like I was doing really bad because I was carrying my bags, but I'm in great shape and healthy. I think people just judge by that appearance. Now, the, the other thing that came up in our explorations here is, you know, you say, but you, you have family support early on in the fight game, too. Like, I, I think Vernon White said after you guys fought that you guys, you went out to dinner with your mom and Vernon and stuff. Do you remember that? And talk about your mom's support. Yeah, my mom was a great support. Um, I was really lucky on that. Um Unfortunately, my mom passed on now. Um, oh, God bless. So, yeah, I wish uh, I wish I could have got her staying healthy and eating vegetables and everything. Both of my parents, I think. And uh, it's just that typical thing. You get into life and trying to do the best you can, and you don't really appreciate her. Didn't appreciate that as much until after she's gone. And um but those were great memories uh, after the fight, going out to dinner with my mom and Matt Linland. And, um, yeah, those were just uh, a great time in life. Um, and uh, I knew Evan Tanner back then, too. Got to give a shout-out to him on the interview, speaking of the times. Um, yeah, can, you open up? Yeah, can, you, can you open up about your relationship with Evan Tanner? Evan Tanner, I was always cool with him because he's like a free spirit like me that's got like uh, the same kind of uh, 
not care about materialistic stuff as much. Um, I trained with him after he left Team Quest at Curtis's gym because um, Evan Tanner's my boy, and I didn't really want to get too into the drama with him and Team Quest. Um, and then he won the belt, the UFC belt, against David Terrell, which that was great. Um, and then after he got divorced and everything, like uh, everything kind of started, he was losing the fights and drinking. And um, the documentary on him, I actually went to it that uh, Gerard did. And it was uh, quite a moving documentary. And Evan Tanner, he had, uh, I think he impacted everyone's life a lot. Um, just by being a free thinker and a really uh, unique character at Team Quest and in mixed martial arts. and but what a, It's too bad he passed on so young. It would have been cool to see what he would have done with it. Yeah. Not, not to get some books or anything. Yeah, not, not to get into like negativity and stuff, but you're an outdoors guy. And, you know, Evan was too, you know, like a guy like you. Like, what did he do? Did he just mess up and like have bad have a bad experience out on because that's where he died was like out, out back, backpacking and stuff right yeah he uh thought i guess he didn't know that there wasn't going to be a spring there and he wasn't too far from the road so he almost made it from what i've heard um just dehydration and um Man, it's just unbelievable not, uh, not good enough planning for anyone to know like where he was to find him. And, but they say he did stuff like that quite often and almost died in the Grand Canyon. And Yeah, they said he'd, he'd, he'd drink and, you know, wind his way up over into the desert. And, man, you're kind of throwing the dice when you do stuff like that. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think his mark, um, it's unfortunate that these young kids don't don't know who he is. But the way he trained, he incorporated like a lot of techniques and uh, all in one that most people only really specialized in one component or the other. Yeah, Evan was a pretty special guy, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, he was always progressing as a martial artist. Uh, he had lots of great wins as his career developed against Phil Baroni and never what about Rich Franklin. What about sugar-free Kim Couture? What was your experience with her in a training room? Kim Couture? Yes. I didn't train with her, I don't think. Because she wasn't Randy at Team Quest when you were there? No, because I thought that was after Randy left and went to Vegas. You know what? You might be right on that. I th you might be right on that. Because Randy was with Trish when, uh, when we were in Oregon. Okay. Okay. Uh, hey, did you spend time in the, in the room training with Baroni when he stopped by uh, Team Quest? No, I wasn't there yet. I was there a little bit after, but I heard the story about him and Evan Tanner. It's in all the documentaries and everything. That's crazy. The drama with him now, suspect for killing his wife. Did you guys hear that? Obviously, it's yeah. a big. Yeah, he um, what did the, the light the light that I can shed on it is that his lawyers just visited him and they say he's got the brain of an eight year old. 
Like he has no idea why he's there or where he's at. He can't really comprehend where he's at right now. Like the brain damage and CTE that he has, um, he has no idea that he's in prison. Like that's how just developmentally delayed he is. Well, that's the case they're gonna that's they're gonna try to use that for the case, I'm sure. Um does it look I guess we'll see if he's guilty or not. No, I, I you know what, Matt, I actually got some pretty good insight into this. And in essence, his legal team um is stating that he absolutely did it. Um Phil pretty much I what I think happened was Phil was in a blackout, woke up, was either dying or almost dead. He had no idea what he may have done because he was drinking and drugging. Methamphetamine was was definitely a part of the equation and ran out, tried to get help, and she had already passed. Like she'd been passed for a while. Um, the defense that they're using for Phil is that he needs to be in a home for people that are, are mentally damaged. You know, he shouldn't get out, needs to be locked down, but he needs severe mental help because of just how gone he is. Yeah, that happens to a lot of old fighters. Uh, my boy, Jason Mayhem Miller, he hasn't done anything that bad, but he can't stay out of jail. Doesn't... uh got to teach him how to just walk away from his girl instead of getting in a fight. Yeah. You and Mayhem became really close. Would you mind describing your relationship with him? Uh, I've hung out with him a long time. I stayed at his place. Um, We traveled to Poland. We had some really good adventures. Uh, Got pepper sprayed in Poland at the bar. That was pretty funny. What happened? Well, uh, Mayhem was going to the bar because our friends invited us there and he got in an argument with the door guy who didn't know who we are and the door guy pepper sprayed him. So then I got annoyed that the door guy pepper sprayed him and double leg take down the door guy. And then uh, they pepper sprayed me as well. And there one guy punched me a few times, but that's just a nuisance, a regular guy punching me. So then we stumbled outside and the police talked to us and I couldn't stop laughing. And <laughs> Did you guys stay at that bar or did you go to a different one? Well, we went to a different one. We got pepper sprayed and went outside and the police said, uh, talk to us about what happened. And <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it was a, quite an adventure in Poland and yeah, there was that, and I went to his fight in Italy. He was doing really good in his fight in Italy until he got tired and uh, got beat. But when I was rolling with him before that fight, I felt like I could do really well against him if I wanted, like I had to go easy. But then after the fight, like he got the better of me and the rounds when I was really trying. So I was like, oh, shit, you should have fought like that. Like he was a lot better after. In between rounds, when you had cornered Mayhem, you were reading the Bible to him as part of, like, your motivation in between rounds. Oh, yeah, the commentators were getting mad about that. But, no, I wasn't reading it to him, distracting him or anything. I was just getting some bad vibes because that's uh, usually uh, what I – it's a big part of my belief in training and everything. And it doesn't hinder me from what I'm supposed to be doing on the technical aspect. It makes me better at it. 
So yeah, that was pretty much that. Okay. And you know, you, you to be honest with you, when I first saw you fight, I saw you fight live a few times. Um, you walk into the ring with the Bible. I thought it was like a shtick. I thought it was you kind of mocking religion until I saw some of your interviews afterward and I realized that like how serious you were with it. Yeah, um, well, it's been a big part of uh, Johannes Gutenberg is one of my favorite heroes in history because he brought the printing press to Europe so the Gutenberg Bibles could be mass produced and the books on science as well. So we, uh, the common man and woman could learn to read their own Bibles and books on science and instead of a pope or someone telling, them, telling us what they say and who our enemies and God's enemies are. And um, in American history, one of my biggest heroes is John Clark, who won religious freedom in Rhode Island, that they weren't allowed to persecute the Baptists, because back then they thought they were heretics. So it's just uh, the Bible's been a huge part in how we've progressed and the printing press and thanks be to the inventor of inventors. And... But, but you're also a science guy. Like you talk yeah. about the multiverse, you talk about science. Oftentimes science and religion yeah. tend to battle each other, but you have somehow found your way in between the both of them. That's a new thing, though, because in the old days, a lot of the great inventors were Protestant and Catholic. For instance, Michael Faraday, who invented the first uh, the first electric generator motor, showed that you can move the magnets and make more electricity. One of the most important inventors of all time, he was a Protestant. Joseph Neitz, who made the first photograph, was uh, Catholic. Um, and Nikola Tesla said good things about the Bible. Michael Faraday was one of his heroes. Albert Einstein said... Uh, Faith without science is blind, and science without faith is lame. It's interesting. That's interesting. It's, um, uh, it's just like the new John Goodenough, the inventor of the lithium-ion battery, is also a really spiritual uh, Baptist in Texas. And, Where do you fall on the flat Earth theory? I mean, you're an Eddie Bravo guy. I am an Eddie Bravo guy. And I'm open-minded to anything, but I have seen the sunset after it was dark when I went up in an airplane, which would imply it went behind a ball. And uh, it would be hard to trick all the smart people devoting their lives to it. I mean, not impossible. Anything's possible. But possible and likely are two different things. So, yeah, I don't think the Earth's flat. But I understand the possibility anything's possible. Do you think NASA is lying about the numbers of the globe? Uh, do I think NASA's could be wrong about some things? Probably. I'm sure they'll update their information and be wrong about a lot. But what's the specific question? Well, if you here's the thing about flat Earth, and Miguel is going to take my head off after this. But flat Earth, the real their argument is not that the Earth is actually flat. Their argument is that NASA is lying, and they use NASA's numbers to prove that they're lying. And it's plain as day that NASA is probably one of the most co-opted, full of shit organizations that this Earth has ever seen. Well, yeah, well, maybe. Um, like, uh, which numbers? 
Because the James Webb, like I like the infrared images, and I the thing I believe is spectroscopy. Like spectroscopy tells you what element you're looking at on the periodic table um, by their wavelength. So if you tell me you see the spectroscopy that says that it's probably these elements from the stars or from the matter here on Earth, I would be inclined to believe the evidence. So spectroscopy, I believe. What was your dealings with promoter Rich Layton? Uh, which promoter? From Cage Fighting Championship, Rich Layton. Rich Layton, I don't remember that one, honestly. Uh, Cage fought, Fighting, who did I fight there? Chris Kiever, yeah, Jeremy Horn student from Elite Performance. Your first bout with Chris uh, Kiever. Kiver. Chris Kiever? Mm -hmm. um, that was in Colorado? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, the Colorado one, that was a great experience. Um, it was a good fight. Um, dude. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I don't need to. Um, I'm getting some space. Yeah. Okay. It's because I, I love you. <laughs> the Starbucks. All right. Now, where was I? Um, what, wait, what happened just there? Ah, just uh, Starbucks in the city. <laughs> uh, okay. So you had a good give up the Colorado experience. Colorado with, uh, um, so my grandpa was at that one. That was uh, that was the last fight that my grandpa went to. Um. I felt really good going into it. I won that one by a uh, meat hook, uh, triangle choke setup. Um, stayed in Colorado a couple days. What the? I don't remember talking to the promoter of it that much. Okay. Um, did, he, did he go on to promote a lot of shows? Or I, you know what? I, I looked him up. He's actually got a real. He had a real cool thing going. Like he would do little write-ups about each fight, what they meant. Uh, in terms of an early day promoter, I thought he did a phenomenal job. But I can only tell you from somebody that's never met or seen him, I've only seen like his body of work. And you know, you being in that locker room sometimes gives you a different view or kind of cements the uh, the forethought that we have about him. Sure. That's good. Well, your first international opponent was Miko Ruponen uh, out of Finland. He was 10 2 and 2. Pride and Fury brought you, and you fought in Utah. So you're kind of staying in your same area, but the, the opponents that they're bringing in for you are just absolute stud. Miko is actually another 50 Fight Club veteran, fought in the highest of levels in Europe, never made it to the UFC, but was usually always one fight away. Miko, I thought I fought him in, was it Utah? I thought it was Idaho. It said Pride and Fury? Yeah, it is Idaho. Is it it's Idaho? A, it was a hotel resort in Idaho. Yeah, that was, uh, that was oh, a good totally. experience. Um, I lost the first round and then came out and threw a bunch of punches. And he did a takedown and I got a triangle choke, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
What was it like uh, rolling with Fabricio Verdum? The Fabricio Verdum, oh shit, that was a uh, that was a great experience. Fabricio Verdum's uh, amazing training partner. Uh, the room at Kings was just uh, really tough. There was Fabricio Verdum, Orlando Sanchez, um, all the great Muay Thai coaches, Master Rafael Cordero, and and I got to help uh, Shogun Hua get ready for the fight with Nagara. Uh, Master Rafael would work pads with them, and then I'd do a grappling round. I also got to roll with Leoto Machida and help him get ready for the Mark Munoz fight. And I did my uh, my sit octopus guard to the back, but uh, Leoto Machida was pretty tired from the pads. Oh, you got him. <laughs> I didn't get him, but I got on his back with the octopus guard. Uh Fabricio, yeah, uh, at that time, did you think Fabricio would be one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, based on your uh, your experience with him? Uh, yeah, he was already really good. I mean, he uh, I was there when he won the belt against Cain Velasquez, but leading up to it, he had solid wins. He was coming off the win against Fedor, being the first to uh, stop Fedor with the triangle choke. Um, I remember having a lot of great rounds with them. Um, always got beat up by Fabricio Wardham. I've uh, never caught him. I got a fucking sweep on him once <laughs> when we were climbing around. So uh, you mentioned Fedor. Like, you were in Team Quest when, like, you know, Matt fought him, then Chael fought him, and I think Henderson fought him. So it's like they all kind of lined up to fight Fedor. What was the aura of that the Team Quest people had around Fedor? Well, everyone knew Fedor was the best. Everyone wanted to fight the best. I was there when Matt Lindland fought Fedor. Chael uh, Sonnen, that was a lot later. That was just okay. like at the end of his career. So we were all doing our own things in different places then. But yeah, Fedor's a, a tall order. Isn't he going to do another fight now? Yeah, he's, yeah, supposed to. he's got a retirement fight coming up. All right, so it's a tough when one. Fid rematch against Bader. When Fedor. It'll be interesting. When Fedor fought Matt Lindland and he grabbed the ropes in order to kind of change the, the direction of the takedown. Um, was Matt Lindland going back to the gym talking about suing Miguel Iterate and the and the Bodog promotion in regards to that? <laughs> Is there any rumor of that? Uh, yeah. Um, nothing came of it, though. Huh? That is pretty funny. Good press. Matt Lindland, uh, he, was a, he was a great fighter, but sometimes he would have like a the worst uh, things happen on the takedown, like when he knocked himself out and they uh, went suplexing Vitaly the first time and then kicked his ass in the rematch because there was a hole in the UFC mat, he said, and he hit his head like doing the suplex. So he talked about suing Bodog. Is that correct? Uh, I did hear about that, I think. I mean, it's a long time ago. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to ask Matt Lindland. I can tell you, too, the, the way that the way 
those big companies get structured. I talked to Lindland's lawyer, Stephen Thompson, a lot over it. And he could he could sue me for whatever, you know, he could sue me and he could take me for all I'm worth, and he's then he just earned himself a bunch of debt. <laughs> so at any rate, um, but uh, with Bodog, those companies liquidate very fast. You know what I mean? It's like hey, you sue the company with no assets. And that's what was gonna happen to them, so he knew it. Oh yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that company didn't last too long. IFL was great while it lasted. They treated the fighters really well, paid us good. Yeah, IFL you went on to be there. Kingpin, Mike's taking us there. Mike is getting yeah. us there. Here, before that, on July 28, 2004, it's Sport Fight 5. They're literally going once a month. Like They've really kind of got their system dialed in. Um, Jason Flynn years, and he was supposed to fight Paul Purcell. He leaves the, uh, the event, make an announcement, got Paul Purcell, who wants to fight him. Do you remember that? Uh, which one, Jason Flynn? So Paul Purcell, Paul Picnic Purcell, ATT guy. ATT guy. So in essence, you took it last minute because his opponent Jason Flynn left the uh, left oh, the yeah, event. Sport fight. Okay, I know which one now. Yeah, he had knocked out Rec with the spinning back fist. Uh, the brother that I fought. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I took that uh, just when I was in the crowd. That was a pretty funny one. I was glad that went good. I won my rear naked choke. Jason Flynn. That's funny. I guess he just had anxiety like. Uh, Carl Parisian had that too, where I got anxiety about the fight. And said, "That's it, I'm out of here." They, they say Saint Pierre did, used to do the same thing. Why did like question himself? Why am I fighting? Did you ever have any of that matter? Well, everyone gets nervous before the fight, um, but you sign up and just go and do your best and try to have good faith, good focus, train hard for it. Um, most of my fights were I was well trained and ready for, except the one where I got knocked out in Korea. That one I was working a regular job and took it on short notice and popped my ribs out trying to get some extra rounds in. Jay Young Kim's a good fighter, but it'd be interesting to see if I fought him like a hundred percent with a good training camp and not a stupid game plan. Well, with, with Paul Purcell, just so everybody understands, he's you know roughly a 500 fighter on record, but he was dirty, gritty. He uh, knocked out Nick Thompson after Nick Thompson pounded on him for three rounds. Like, Paul Purcell is every bit the real deal. Was there any trepidation on your end about taking a fight from the audience? Wait, what? Was there any trepidation on your end taking fights from the audience? Um, no, I was fine with it. Um, I mean, once it was later in my career and I had like a, a bigger record to risk, I, unless it's like a lot of money, I probably would think twice about fighting a tough opponent like on the night's notice when I'm having a beer. UFC 2 veteran Fred Edish here, and you're listening to the Lights Out podcast. <laughs> but uh, how, much, uh, how much did you get paid? Whatever fight you could get to get a name. <laughs> How much did how were the negotiations that night for the fight? How much did you get paid? 
that one it was uh my boy matt linland show so i just got paid probably then like 500 dollars or something and back then it was a really big deal because there wasn't a lot of money in the sport you're like oh shit i actually could get paid for this yeah uh, um, was like the jason mcdonald fight i started seeing like the 1500 2500 dollar paydays and that that started that was a big deal back then and so, Miguel, Miguel, you got to follow this. He's drinking in the audience, fights Paul Purcell. A day or two later, Tim McKenzie gets called over to the Ultimate Fighter. And then on a week's notice, he fights a guy from France, future 50 Fight Club member, Jerome LeBanner standout, Anthony Ray, in Montreal, Canada. <laughs> Yeah, that was a tough fight. I got uppercutted pretty hard in that one. I kind of got flash knocked down and then recovered and got the takedown. He had really good stand-up. He was fast, explosive. But my jiu-jitsu was really good in that one. I started going for umapadas and took the back. And Are you being managed at this point? What? Are you being managed at this point? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Matt Lindland, but the management's job was just to get us as much fights as possible back then. So then you get a name, get the experience, see what you can do in it. Which worked pretty good. I mean, I had a pretty good career out of it. Well, that was for Apex in Montreal, Canada. And this was kind of when Canada was somewhat of the outlawed days. A lot of the bikers were involved. Um, how was your experience there fighting in Montreal? Oh, it was great. It was a great show. The, the food was good there. Um, would have been nice to hang out some of those places longer that I traveled. Um, Canada, the people and promoters seemed really cool. Uh, yeah. I got to travel a lot of really cool places. So I got to go to Brazil and swim with the Amazon River Dolphins when I fought Talos Latest the second time. Right. pictures with the river dolphins on my Facebook and everything. Um, so you beat Anthony Ray by Rear Naked Choke. And Capital City Fight Alliance, you guys, you fight Billy Miles a couple weeks later, sport fight in Reno, Nevada. And then they roll you into uh, October 16th, a biker-backed organization out of Canada. Again, Extreme Fighting Challenge. And you fight Jason McDonald another future UFC veteran who's an absolute savage. Yeah, Jason McDonald is great. Um, that one I won by armbar. Um, I pulled guard, and he was standing up out of my guard on the armbar, so I hooked it around his leg and got the tap from it. Fairly quick, if I remember right, in the first round. I ended up fighting him again later, and I got robbed on that decision. Like, everyone that saw my second fight with Jason McDonald knew I won that one. Yeah, McDonald, he uh, had 10 fights in the UFC. He went by the athlete. Man, he's as legit as they come, and you, you're walking away with the win. Um, with Mike Dulce, the Dolce diet. I didn't really get into the Dolce diet. I mean, Dolce, he was uh, he was a great training partner, great guy. But usually I just uh, eat vegetables and good protein, just mostly good common sense dieting. And... 
I always use a training partner. Yeah, There's a training partner. He was good. Um, I mean, he's athletic. He's a good fighter. Uh, great guy. Great vibe. Great energy. I wouldn't say he's Chael Sonnen on takedowns. Chael Sonnen was the best on takedowns. Gotcha. Chael Sonnen, oh man, his double leg. He can. Uh, he got the takedown on everyone, except the only time he has problems is when he goes up to light heavyweight. Like against another, a bigger, stronger guy can wrestle, but at middleweight, he took everyone down, didn't he? Anderson Silva took Shogun Hua down. You used to be one of the projects that uh, that Eddie Bravo would work with in regards to perfecting your jiu-jitsu for MMA. How was it working out with Eddie? Well, that's what really helped me uh, step up my the stuff I was working and the Anthony Ray fight on my Uma Pladas and everything where I could know like how to actually do them right and all the details. Um, so Eddie's like my main mentor in jiu-jitsu for sure. Um, and it's 10th Planet. The kids are always inventing cool new moves. I still got to get caught up on uh, the go-go clinch joke, uh, the buck trap or whatever kind of new ones they got now. So I got to make it to headquarters more. It's just, uh, it can be difficult to make it to the headquarters when I'm trying to work a regular job. It's a lot easier to go and roll with my boys at the Coastal Mesa 10th Planet. But yeah, Eddie Bravo's the man. One of the yeah. most innovative. It's great what he's doing with the jujitsu tournament where the grapplers can make like 20 grand and have a shot at that for winning it. I was thought when I did a grappling tournament, man, this is great. I get a break from worrying about pro cop head kicks and Yoel Romero flying knees. But then when you're grappling, you've got the dreaded heel hook you got to worry about, which can be worse than a pro cop head kick. Yeah. You, you have nine months, yeah. Huh? Yeah, you can rehab nine months with a bad heel hook, you know? Yeah. Uh, Nine months with a heel hook. Yeah, no, I'm just saying with a bad one, you could you could be doing like a long rehab, whereas a, a KO you get three months off and, and you're back, you know. Yeah, a KO I could be back training the next day. As long as I'm not getting hit or anything, doing my cardio. I've only been knocked out once. That's a weird feeling. I was worried I might be stupid forever because I couldn't remember all the details of how I got there. But then after dinner and a couple beers, all my memory came back. And... That's good. <laughs> Did yeah, you ever uh, have the opportunity to roll with Joe Rogan? Uh, I did roll with Joe Rogan. And I also did the uh, the same way I took Shogun Hua's back when we were clowning around training, not when he's going 100% or anything. But I also did that on Joe Rogan where I grabbed the octopus guard and go to the back like I learned from BJ Penn in the Matt Hughes fight. So I took, got on Joe Rogan's back and then he said his uh, ribs got hurt. So then I uh, felt like an idiot for hurting his ribs because he's uh, he was older at the time and rolls and everything. Maybe he just said it because he didn't want to deal with the back mount. <laughs> You know, you know what's kind of odd is that you weren't really cutting weight for fights. 
And you were always a lot smaller than all of your opponents. Uh, at light heavyweight, yeah. And then I went to middleweight, which I was pretty big for middleweight, cut a lot of weight. Well, it, with Jason McDonald or with uh, Jason Lambert, um, Jason Lambert was a lot bigger then, yeah. And so was Christoph Szczynski. So just so everybody knows, he goes from Jason McDonald, 10 fights in the UFC soon after. He goes to Jason Lambert in the WEC, who's got later on eight fights in the UFC. So you're just, you're fighting murder after murder. And that's like eight to 10 days apart with these tough opponents. Like it's, it's almost unheard of. Yeah. I wish I would have had more time to prepare for the Jason Lambert fight. Cause that was a stupid performance. I mean, Jason Lambert's a great fighter. But uh, my first fight against him, I thought, was a really dumb performance. What'd you do? Uh, I just pulled guard, got beat up. I remember trying. I remember I thought I hit him with a good head kick. I'd have to see it again. That's been so long ago. But uh, so Miguel, he uh, was, uh, Matt Horwich weighed one ninety eight. Jason Lambert is a huge two hundred five pounder. Like he's probably every bit of two, probably two twenty come fight time, and Matt's under. He's you know five pounds underweight, more than that, seven pounds underweight. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Uh, it's great to fight like different weight classes, though. Um, the good thing is not having to cut weight, because cutting weight can be a big hassle. I mean, it's kind of like a fast, a spiritual experience, but it's a pain in the ass to cut weight. Yeah. Uh, there were other big guys you fought, too, Dave. Sometimes. Huh? I'm sorry? Against bigger opponents, I did good sometimes. So I did good against Christoph Szczynski. Who's yeah, huge. There were, there were a lot of big Travis View. Well, hold up. We're getting there. So he's got Chris Kieber rematch. Miguel, guess who he's fighting after that? Your guy, Trevor Prangley, a monster 205er. Yeah, Trevor he, he, he was a big 185er. They were middleweights. You know, you're right. Like, Prangley's an absolute savage. He's, I, I think, incredibly underappreciated in regards to his ability and talent. Yeah, Trevor Prigley was really good. Him and Shale Sonnen had some really good battles. Um, it was hard for me to do anything against him because of his uh, excellent wrestling. It was hard for me to get an advantageous position on the ground or pull him into guard. So Trevor obviously did a stint in the UFC as well. I Bodog Miguel was he the year 185 pound champion? Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, he went to he Bodog. He beat uh, Chael once, huh? He yeah, he fought, he fought Chael three times. And, uh, he beat him twice. Uh, yeah. I think he beat him twice, and Chael beat him uh, like the time it counted, like the time everybody else was watching. So, uh, like in, in UFC. Um, but, yeah, Trevor beat Yuki Kondo for the Bodog belt. Oh, shit. That's a good win, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yuki Kondo was solid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Big time. That was a good card, too. So, XFC, you beat uh, Brian Weaver, and then you roll into Extreme Challenge 64. This is the first time I ever saw you live. 
Uh, you fought Travis View. Travis at the time is 36 and 5. You know, he may have been in the UFC at that point. Um, he had Travis knocked out at the end of the, was at the, end of the first round. Yeah. Yeah, when he went to the wrong corner. Um, that fight I um that fight I haven't thought about for a while. What did I almost knock him out with? Was it a head, a head kick? kick? So in essence, he was taking you down and holding, just Wait. pretty much stalling and brawling. And with about 10 seconds left, you were able to get to your feet. You landed a big head kick, and his corner had to help him find where he was supposed to go. Yeah, yeah, that was my favorite move at stand-up, the head kick. That was a great fight. I haven't thought about that one for a while. I think uh, Ryan Schultz was in my corner. Yeah, Ryan Schultz was in my corner on that one. So that was my first experience with yourself, and Mighty Cox was the promoter, and I remember everybody going, no, man, stay away from him. He's, like, reading the Bible, but he's not, like, faking it. He's, like, every, everybody was so freaked out by you. <laughs> it's it pretty funny. Yeah. Well, sometimes things require a more eccentric approach. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I got a question for you since we're talking about, you know, obviously you march to the beat of your own drum, you know? But uh, did you have an interaction one time with uh, Don Fry where Don made a little drunk and tried to beat you up in, in Connecticut, I think it was? <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, what happened was uh, we were waiting at weigh-ins, and I was really hungry. Chael uh, Sonnen said that Don Fry was worried about his position of work with the IFL and that he was going to get sandwiches for everyone. So uh, Chael Soda dared me to go over and at, tell Don Fry that I heard he was getting sandwiches. So I went and uh, told Don Fry that uh, Chael Soda said he was going to get sandwiches. And he said, who said that? And I said, uh, Chael Soda over there. And he said, I'll, I'll show you a turkey sandwich. And then Chael <laughs> said, I'll take a thought, I'll go get him. <laughs> yeah. I heard good thought. Later with Dennis Tallman at the bar. And uh, Dennis Hallman went for a double leg, and he had a neck injury. And I guess Don Fry necktied and uh, Dirty Box punched him, and then it got broke up, is what I heard. Ah. We'll have to follow I don't know if tonight. I commentated on that story or not, but uh, I never got in a fight with Don Fry. Okay, All right. Good. Well, that's good. <laughs> so, Matt, let's just yeah, say was pretty funny. interview Dennis Hallman. Let's just say tonight with Benji Raddick and uh, Anthony Hamlet. What questions would you say would be most appropriate in order to get a good interview out of him? A good interview out of him? Well, the Don Fry story was pretty funny. Um, Dennis Holman always likes to tell the one about choking me out at the after party. It is pretty funny. I'm not mad about that part, just that he said I said no like a bitch or something, which isn't what happened. <laughs> um, what happened is I woke back up and he was kicking TJ and I said, oh, shit, settle down. Don't make me make you choke me out again. And that everything <laughs> settled down because he armbarred Dennis Holman off of me and Benji Raddick, Raddick stomped on him. 
Then I ended up fighting Benji Raddick in IFL. And got right. the did, did you ever roll with Jeff Monson? Uh, yeah, I rolled with Jeff Monson lots of times. Uh, Jeff Monson was really good. I was really good at standing back up, though. At one time, he got so mad at me standing back up and getting away from guard. He knocked over the shelf at ATT. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Sometimes Jeff Monson would get so mad at our rounds, he'd knock something over because I would uh, slip and stand up and get away when we were doing the drills on uh, escaping. And this was at Coconut Creek, correct? Yeah, I was at Coconut Creek. And it was with Matt Lindland and Laborio. And it Did was you... uh, the funniest part, the highlight of doing rounds is when you do something good and Jeff Watson gets mad and knocks over the shelf or the wall. <laughs> Everything's in trouble. Did, uh... Did you roll with Laborio? Uh, no, I didn't roll with Laborio. He showed me some cool stuff about Kimoras and everything, but uh, I didn't really roll with them. I don't think like a lot of the older coaches are doing like a whole bunch of extra rolling. I didn't get to roll with Marcelo Garcia either because Marcelo Garcia was there. But he was mostly rolling with the bigger names and stuff. So that's one thing that I didn't get to do was roll with Marcelo, the man. What about J.C. Cavalcante? J.C., I don't remember. What about Hector Lombard? Hector Lombard, I remember there. Hector Lombard, everybody was afraid to do rounds with because he throws pretty hard. But uh, he wasn't grabbing me up to do any rounds. He did rounds with Matt Lindland, I think. Dan Henderson did really well against him in the fight. <laughs> um, so you go from Travis View, uh, that's June 18th, July 9th, you're talking three weeks later, four weeks later at the most. You're fighting future UFC vet Christoph Sosinski in Freedom Fight in Canada. Your independent grind is insane. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, training all day then. Um, my recovery has always been really good, and I haven't had many injuries. Uh, the Christoph Sosinski fight went to Canada. Um, I forget who ordered me for that one. Um, it was a tough first round, had to weather the storm, and then I got the rear naked choke in the second round. Joe Dirksen was there. I think Joe Dirksen fought on that card as well. I forget against who. Yeah, it's the John Fitch, Jeff, Jeff Jocelyn, big controversial fight where there was a timeout called. Um, that was a card. It was actually the fight right after yours. Um, you're 12-4-1 and one going into this fight, and you've got all murderers. Are the, is the UFC calling you at all at this point? Well, I was kind of pissed off I didn't get on the Ultimate Fighter show, but Ed Herman got on it, and, uh, and Josh got on it. Um, I think I didn't do the best interview for it because well, I was stuck in a motel room drinking coffee. Well, talking, you know, I mean, they look like a wide variety of guys. And I mean, I think by now people listening to this interview are going to realize 
that they've never met anyone like Matt Horwich. You know, I mean, how did that escape these TV producers? What? Like, why? Why do you think you were not picked for the Ultimate Fighter? Well, Ed Herman uh, did a better interview, I'm sure, and Ed Herman was really good. Um, that interview, it wasn't my best one. I mean, I was uh, I was just stuck in the motel drinking coffee, and then there was the they called you into the interview, so I didn't have like the best prepared interview to like uh, be eccentric and like uh, I don't know. You would think they would have given me the spot anyway, but yeah, oh, I think well. you know. Yeah, I think Ed, you know, with all you're right, he's an excellent fighter. But with all due respect, he's kind of cookie cutter. There are a lot of guys like that who've been on Ultimate Fighter. He's a lot like Lieben from previous seasons. He's a lot like many guys. You're very unique. So that, I, I think they missed an opportunity too, man. I'm on your side. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. That would have been uh that would have given me a lot more TV time and everything for the career. Because the ultimate fighter, that was uh that was the show to be on. And then if you won the whole thing, you got the great contract. And, which Kendall Grove, I would have been a good fight with in the finals as well. Yeah, you, 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 you Man. can't feel like you have a chance with anybody who was on that show. Hey, especially with, with Matt Linlin being your manager, there were, I'd like to say hundreds, but there was probably close to a thousand online posts disappointed that you didn't get picked. And that entire scene, the Pacific uh, Northwest scene, was really behind you trying to get, out, get you on that show. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, there were a lot of disappointed people I didn't get on the show, including me, because that would have been great. Um, would have got a lot more TV time in UFC because I always had the worst luck with UFC. Like I had the good fight with Dan Miller and then the bad fight with Ricardo Almeida and got cut for losing the two decisions. Whereas if I got on the Ultimate Fighter show, that could have been a different story if I fought Kendall Grove. Or, but then... Uh, if I had fought him, who knows what would have happened. Either way, I would have got a lot more TV time for that than being in an Ultimate Fighter show. But, well, Ryan Schultz also didn't make it to the Ultimate Fighter. What do you think the reason he didn't get picked was? I don't know. Ryan Schultz, um, maybe the interview, too. It's hard to say. But I thought Ryan Schultz usually does like a reasonable interview. Nobody yeah. knows what the hell those guys are thinking. I guess we just have to ask them about it, like how they do their picks or what the reason yeah. some of them get picked were. Because some guys that can't even fight are on there, like Jason Thacker. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, Matt, though. How do you think you would have done in the house setting, you know? Because you're like a free spirit, like you said. You know, you like to go out and camp. You, you know, you like to take your walk in the woods and stuff. And now you're in Vegas, locked in the house with 15 other dudes. How do you think you would have done? What, what? How, how do you think you would have dealt with the day-to-day? I think I would have done fine. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, so I don't think I would have had the Chris Levin problem of drinking too much or anything. Um, just uh, 
And it would have been better than sitting in the motel uh, to try out for the show because I would be training with head coaches and everything. So, so yeah, you just stick your teeth into it. I got you. When Chris Lieben, when Chris Lieben comes back from the Ultimate Fighter season one, what was he saying in the gym? Uh, well, he wasn't allowed to say what happened, but um, Matt Lindland would uh, rough him up in the rounds, I guess, because he was uh, he played the bad guy in the show. Um, I remember him talking about that. Um, but yeah, Chris Lieben, he was uh, he was one of the best like knockout artists coming up at Team Quest and. He was just a lot better in his fights than he was in the show. Like in the show were his worst performances. Do you think that he was portrayed accurately there? Uh, he said that they that's what they wanted for reality TV. That's probably why he got on the damn show and I did it. Because <laughs> Chris Levin was did like the reality TV chef they want. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. We uh we got a real good interview with him in, in the past. Um right after you're taking this this hor horrific uh stretch of fights after Sosinski, they lined you up at Sport Fight 12 against Vernon Tiger White. That bit of a beat up record was an absolute legend in the sport and somebody that's literally fought a who's who. Well, Vernon Tiger White, that was like a back then I saw him as a big step in competition because he had fought Chuck Liddell and he actually looked like he hit Chuck Liddell with some decent shots. Chuck Liddell dominated the fight, but um, he looked pretty competitive with them. And so I did the game plan that Randy Couture did against Vitor Belfort, cover and creep forward, throw a jab and crunch him up and grapple. Um, so we, I was pushing the pace. I was got the body lock. He was able to do like a Uchimata hit throw reversal, which I didn't mind that much because I like pushing the pace from guard. Uh, he did one illegal knee which I didn't care that much about. I wasn't hurt. I just wanted to keep the pace going and tire him out. Then I was able to get the body lock, sweep, takedown, and a rear naked choke. That fight I remember really good. So Vernon told us that he was doing cocaine the night before and he was still feeling a little bit high during the fight. Uh, was there any indicator that he may have uh, been partying? I was not aware of that. That's a pretty funny story. I would think the stimulants would help him, like John Jones. <laughs> that might make him tire out quicker, though, with his heart rate up. So, yeah, it's Matt Lindland. So, Matt Lindland was known for maybe not showering a lot prior to fights in order to kind of maybe smell a little bit like his opponents. Have gone on record saying that man, that guy just he reeks. Did, did you ever have that game plan going into a fight as well? Oh uh, well, people always say that about me too because I uh, I sweat and do a lot of cardio, big testosterone. But um, no, that 
I don't think that's actually a game plan or anything. Um, I remember, though, uh, Quentin Jackson said that about Matt Lindland at the end of the fight. Wish everyone knew Matt Lindland got robbed on that decision. But that was pretty funny when Quentin Jackson said it in the fight interview at the end. That's the one I remember the most on that. But Chael Sonnen did really good against Quentin Jackson, too. Took him down everywhere. Um, yeah, dude, you're, you're, you're just killing it on the independent grind, and the UFC is still not calling you. Is there a reason for that? Is there some sort of politics happening? Uh, I think Dana White and Matt Lindland uh, didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. So that whether that had anything to do with it or not, I don't know. Or whether uh, Joe Silva and Dana White just thought I was uh, too weird. Okay. Which I would think would be marketable. <laughs> right, right. I mean, do you want a cookie cutter guy or somebody that's a little odd? Take the odd guy. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think they were being open-minded enough. Who is the training partner you enjoyed the most? Training partner the most? Um, Chael Sonnen, uh, Matt Lindland, and Fabricio Wardo. Is there any training partners that you just didn't like going with? Oh, and Eddie Bravo, too. Eddie Bravo's my boy for sure, a main jiu-jitsu coach. What about uh, the opposite? Is there anybody that you just did not like rolling with? No, I was fine. Um, sometimes at the, uh, a lot of us had a problem at uh, Calvary Chapel when we were at Kings. Like I would be doing really good in the round and then Jacob would uh, talk a bunch of shit or whatever. Um, which didn't seem like the most productive for having good guys for his guys to roll with. Wait, who is um, this? Well, back when we would go to Calvary Chapel um, for the wrestling with Jacob Harbon. Jacob Harbon. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I was a little bit perplexed by that. Um, but that's about the best I can think of. Everyone I train good with don't have any problem. Sometimes they sick the best Muay Thai guys on me, and then I would uh, not feel the most productive on that. Like, hey, I'm not learning anything besides how to get beat up at Muay Thai. <laughs> what Jay Carbon would tell Fabricio Wardoom to knock me out, I'd be like, <laughs> luckily really? Fabricio Wardoom's my boy and did it. It's lucky I didn't do a flying guillotine on him. <laughs> What, what about Maliki Friedman? Maliki Friedman, um, I was uh, roommates with him. It was kind of weird that he uh, told uh, Ricardo Almeida, was trying to tell him about my game my game plan and how Ricardo Almeida kicked him out of the gym for telling him about my game. Because he said, oh, man, Matt Horwich is supposed to be your boy. If, how can we trust you? Yeah, yeah. So Melky Friedman is a jiu-jitsu instructor. I think you guys lived with each other for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I lived with them. Um, then I had a girl that was kind of a party girl, so I moved to a different place. And yeah, me and Malik here are cool. I don't really have any problem with them. 
I thought the Ricardo Almeida thing was a little odd, but why do you? It is strange. Good for yeah, Ricardo, too. Ricardo showed some honor there, you know? Yeah, yeah he did. Ricardo Almeida is a solid. Ricardo, At one point, you, you were sponsored by Full Tilt uh, Poker. Did you, ever get, uh, did you get paid by them? Full Tilt Poker. Yeah, I remember being sponsored by them. Um, I think it was like $1,000 or something back then, which was a really big deal because there wasn't a lot of money. Um, and I remember the sportsbook sponsor as well that Matt Lindley got kicked out of the UFC about. Did Full Tilt pay you or did they stiff you? Full Tilt, I don't remember being stiffed. I remember... I don't remember any sponsor. I think I got paid on everything. What about Atomic Fight Wear and the Tattoo Shop at UFC 90? Did you get stiffed or did you get paid there as well? I don't remember getting stiffed, so I I think I got paid on all of them. That's crazy. <laughs> My research told me differently. Okay. What about what? Bama? Did Bama pay well, you? Bama, I fought there against Tom Watson. Um, I think I got paid on everything there. Really? Uh, Bama was late. That was what happened. Okay, okay so ba we were all complaining because Bama was late on paying us. That's, That's how a lot of fighters feed their family, so everyone was pissed about it. I remember that now. People that were late on paying us were Bama and the powerhouse when I fought Telus latest the first time. Like they were really late on paying us and had financial problems, but I still got paid. Um, you rack up two more wins, and Scott Coker finally gives you a call to strike force. Was that a relief for you? Was that a goal of yours? That was the first strike force that I fought in. Brian Ebersaw. Um, yeah, Brian Ebersaw. And that was kind of a dumb performance. Brian Ebersol is really good. But, um, yeah, I probably could have done a better performance there. I was able to score one takedown. And I hurt my knee because I wasn't that good at rubber guard yet and, like, pulled it for the Uma Plata run. Um, it's what I remember about that. It was really cool, though, because Chuck Norris was out in the crowd and a lot of celebrities but I didn't really go and say hi or anything because I was pissed off about the decision last. Not at Ebersol, just about the performance. Okay. So, Miguel, just so we're all on the same page here, these fights are all within like three and four weeks of each other. You get to call the strike forts, fights Ebersol, loses a decision, um, although you almost triangled him at the very end. One week later, he fights in an eight-man tournament at the World Cage Fighting Championships in Europe. Now, that one was great. Mike Tyson was a guest referee. And uh, so the first fight came up to the awesome God song, and everyone booed me. And then I won the fight, and Boss Rutten was there too. And then the next fight, I came out, and everyone cheered. And uh, wait, 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 just, you guys got to listen to the studs he's fighting. Like, he hasn't had an easy fight yet. And he fights uh, Petrius Magvicius out of Flawless MMA from Lithuania. He's 21-5-1. and one. 
Your next bout is against a, I think he's a 50 Fight Club member. At this point, he's not. He's a black belt under uh, Liborio, Ron Carniero. Carniero. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, Great fight. I escaped back down at the end. Um, And it was Mike Tyson was the nicest guy. Um, he loved uh, my walkout song, came up and gave me a hug after the first fight. And uh, he said nice things about me in the interview. Uh, they asked him about the fights, and he said, I love Matt. I love that he uh, comes out to the awesome God song and beautiful person. And so that was my uh, my great experience of doing the eight-man tournament, and getting to meet Mike Tyson. And- yeah, Matt, you were naked, choked the guy with one second left in the first round. A, a guy that's an absolute stud, you finish him. With Roan, you lose a split decision. Whatever t- took place in that fight didn't allow Roan to really perform his best. He ended up losing in the finals. But I think it's due in part to how hard he had to work against that of yourself. Yeah, yeah, that was a long fight. Um so the first fight, I remember the mistake the guy did is he tried like a flying arm bar, flying triangle again after he did the arm bar. And I had his leg trapped where it was like in half guard. So I was able to pass and get his back. And I tapped him out from like a Habib Conor McGregor cross face because it wasn't on the neck. And then the fight with, you know, with Ronan, um, that one, he got my back, I remember, and I was able to escape and reverse into his guard right at the end of the fight. Um, in the finals, the guy he fought, I didn't know much about that kid. He did really good on that night, though. Who was yeah. it that he fought in the finals? Did that kid do good? Yeah, his name is uh, Leonardo Chocolate. He uh, finished with about 20 fights. Uh, later on, took a loss to Glover to share a bunch of tough guys. Yeah, yeah. Glover was beating everyone. Yeah, Glover yeah. was an absolute savage. You finally get caught up, called up to the IFL. Is this a relief for you? Uh, well, the first one in IFL was a stupid performance because I always have a problem about Jamal Patterson. Uh, j- j- let me set the table on this. Jamal Patterson's 0-0. You're, you've got every bit of 20 fights. No athletic commission in the world would approve this about now because of the huge disparity in experience. And it's a pretty big upset. Yeah, it's like a, he's athletic and strong and quick. Um, kind of like a Glover Texiera, but didn't go as far with it. Um, he's just always been a hard matchup for me. The first one, I got rear naked choke cross face. The second one, I did the stupid mistake on the shot and got guillotine. Yeah, Jamal Patterson, he was uh, he was athletic and good potential. Just uh, ne- was never consistent. Black belt under Henzo. Yeah, he's a tough dude. Tough dude, for yeah. sure. Athletic, good to get to, good technique. Jamal Patterson was a tall order. Well, this was the first I felt for me. What was your experience like at the event? Because it was your inaugural one. Huh? 
It was the IFL's first event. What, what was your experience dealing with them? Uh, the first event, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of experience. Just hung out with Maury Smith, did the fight, said, oh, shit, that's a fuck up. And then I ended up hanging out with Quentin Jackson all night at the bar. Quentin Jackson, he's a funny guy. He was fun to hang out with. <laughs> and we went to the buffet. And that was a fun experience. I, my next experience in IFL was a lot better. For yeah, one, Bristol. I started getting wins. So, and for two, they were paying us really good and put us on the salary. And I was making a lot more money than I ever made. Yeah, you, you fought Bristol Morunde. You win by decision. And then November 2nd, 2006, Mike Kyle's pre-fight interview says that which wears his opponents down during the fight in order to get a choke later on. Um, I'm not going to fall into that trap. Exactly what took place. <laughs> yeah, Mike Pyle's a funny guy. Um, that one, that was a, he was a tough opponent. He was fast. He had good stand-up, good jujitsu. I remembered when we sparred before, he was good at the arm bar. So I was able to do the right defense that time and tire him out and get the rear naked choke. Um, he got to be on the Universal Soldier movie with Van Damme. I was always happy for him, but I was like, I always thought I should get to be in the damn Van Damme movie for choking him out. <laughs> uh, and Ryan McGivern is another guy that seems to have your number for some reason. Ryan McGivern, well, I fought better fights with him, though. Like, when I fought him, it was, they were good competitive fights. I did a good Uma Plata. I did some good stuff at stand-up. But, yeah, Ryan McGeevern's always been a tough matchup for me because he's a good wrestler and he's good at not getting submitted by me, which uh, went the decision. And his stand-up was pretty good, too. So you lose to Ryan McGeevern. So, essentially, you're 2-2 two and two in the IFL, and then you go on a run. Bo Parlant, Brent, Bo Parlant, you, you win by Kimura, Jamal Patterson. I mean, you lost by guillotine, 37 seconds. Kukasuro Hamanaka, you KO him, 207. Then I 18 in Chicago. There was like four people that missed weight on that card. Was there something going on with the scale? The Chicago one, who did I fight there? Brian Foster. Uh, that one, yeah, I don't know. Brian Foster was really nice about me missing weight, though, because it was a couple pounds. I got perplexed about how much I was supposed to. So, yeah, there may have been some, some of the scales were off, may have been off a little. I don't know. I don't want to make it too many excuses for it, but it is possible. Then Brian Foster was nice enough for me not to have to pay for being overweight. So I felt kind of bad kneeing him in the face in the fight. <laughs> but um, I got the what he was uh he hit me pretty hard too from the clinch. He had heavy hands. And then I was able to knee him in the face and get the uh get the fight to the ground. That one I got the triangle armbar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that Chris Lattle special. Yeah. And you pull into it, like the IFL decides to start putting titles on people. They put your former training partner, Benji Raddick, uh, up against you. Uh, was that a hard fight for you because you guys knew each other so well? Well, yeah, me and Benji have always been cool. 
I mean, at the end of the day, everyone I fought, uh, I think, is a good guy. They're just trying to be the best they could be in the ring. So I don't really take it personal or anything. Um, but Benji Raddick was just a strong opponent then. He was knocking everyone out, like, early. And I was uh, taking a long time to submit him. And so when I got the win against Benji Raddick and got the belt, that was, like, uh, one of the biggest moments for me. For one, I got paid a lot more. For two, I got to be the champion of a big organization. And what what, what was the payday for, like? Huh? What was that payday like? What, what, what were you taking home for, for being champ? That one I took home 15 grand. The next one I got a raise to 26 grand. Okay. Well, for everybody at home, on YouTube, there's a clip of your post-fight conversation with Benji Raddick. While you guys are killing time, you know, during while they're playing the commercials, and the back and forth between you two is an incredible moment in sports. Like it's, you know, you telling them, yeah, my mom's here. This is a really big deal. I got family. I, I, I really, really wanted this. And, you know, Benji telling him, yeah, me too. This one kind of hurt. Um, it was just it's it's a pretty emotional exchange between the two of you that one of the most real conversations I've ever seen in combat sports. Well, yeah, yeah, that was one of the most uh, epic moments I ever in uh, in my career. Winning the belt there probably against Benji. I mean, Chalice Latest was a big win too, and that one was really epic the first time. But the one with Benji, as far as like being friends and the post conversation and everything, and getting to win the belt and get like the big payday, um, it's a it's a tough tough part of the sport. Um, everybody wants to be a champion for their family. We all had high hopes of doing great things, and one of us has to win in those. What was it like? What was it like growing with Eric Paulson? Uh, Eric Wilson. I haven't rolled with Eric Wilson. I, I thought you were. Gym. Uh, you I went to his gym, though, Josh correct? Barnett a little bit. But I, when I rolled with Josh Barnett, I was still newer to the sport, so I didn't really get to have a good technical round. Okay. Um, I never rolled with Eric Wilson or Matt Hughes. I have rolled with. I've rolled with Randy Kotor, Shale Sonen, Eddie Bravo. A lot of people have rolled with Eric Colson yet. What about Rafael Cord Rafael Cordero? Uh, Rafael Cordero, I did stand up rounds with, and he's a lot better at stand up, so he could just light me up at the stand up rounds. But I, I learned a lot doing pad work with him. Uh, he does some really good innovative combos, some log ones that are good exercise for our brains to memorize on the pads. Um, learned a lot from his movement and the King's MMA style. They do a lot of cool blitz, switch leads, a lot of really cool combos, and they've had a lot of really great fighters come out of there. Did you ever uh, get on the mat with Pedro Sauer? Uh, no, I never rolled with Pedro Sauer either. I have rolled with Jeremy Horn. Oh, that? that was good. I was still newer to the sport. 
So it wasn't like it, the prime when I was my best at jujitsu. But it was great to get a good round in with Jeremy Horn and learn some cool stuff there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the Iron Man. He's MMA's Iron Man. Yeah, Jeremy um, Horn's a legend, solid. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And you also were one of the main training partners for Connor Hune when he fought AJ Nunes. Yeah, that was when I was at Legends, and we all lived in the gym in Hollywood. Uh, Connor didn't live in the gym. He was with his girl, Thea. Or did he? They don't remember now. I think he lived in the gym part of the time, and they had a place. But anyway, yeah, we all trained there and lived at the gym. Connor Hune and Eugene and uh, Tommy and Garen. Those guys didn't uh, get in as big of shows. Um, Eddie Bravo was also at the gym. And there were some great memories back then. Connor Hune's a solid. He cornered me in Korea when I had the stupid performance there. But we had a great time. Here you go. Uh, as we get here towards the end of your career, hold on one quick second. I had a couple of questions. Well, look, why don't you take us through the Talos latest fights? Because you've mentioned them a couple of times, and obviously that's one of the yeah, he's just beat him in the States and then gave him a rematch in Brazil. Talk about that whole memory. First person ever so finished. First time with Talos latest. It was a really good competitive fight. I was an underdog on it because Talos latest uh, had a UFC title fight against Anderson Silva. Um, so the rounds were back and forth. What I did good is I got a uh, reversal from Anuma Plata um, and some good moments. Uh, at the end, when the fifth round started, he was I could tell he was tired, and I was able to get his back and scoop him up and get the takedown and took his back and got the rear naked choke. And Talos Latis is one of my biggest wins. Now, the second time in Brazil, I got 20 grand to show, win or lose. And it was one of my best performances until I did the fuck up and lost. I was winning the rounds. Um, I had good takedowns. Um, I took his back as well in the first round. And then uh, I was doing good in the next round until I he was standing up and I let go to punch him and got reversed and then got stuck in the arm triangle. And I didn't know there was a short time left in the round. But I went and swam with the Amazon River Dolphins the day after the fight. The natives take tourists out to see the Amazon River Dolphins and the wildlife. So I was the happiest I've been after doing a fuck up and losing the fight. That was pretty cool. That would have been cool to hang out in Brazil a little bit longer. So the Amazon River Dolphins, you're talking about the freshwater dolphins, correct? Yeah, freshwater dolphins in the Amazon. There's pictures on my Facebook. You can they feed them fish and you can pet them and everything. They're Not supposed to be more aggressive than saltwater dolphins. They weren't. No, they're not aggressive. Not those ones. You can feed them fish and pet them. I mean, you probably don't want to try to grab them or anything. They might get aggressive then. Did you? You got in the actual water with them? Yeah, in the Amazon River. Huh. That's awesome. And so now let yeah, me ask you, now, this, this might be something, you know, maybe a regret in your career and stuff, because Talos, you beat him and then you lost the rematch. The same thing happened to you with Jake Rochelle. Do you think, what, what was going on there with your mindset? Why were you dropping rematches like that? Well, 
a rematch against a good guy. Um, yeah. They uh, put a lot of when they come back in the rematch, naturally they're going to try to come back better, put a lot of hard work into it. Jake Rochelle was just a tough opponent. I mean, he had really good wrestling. I couldn't score the takedown. Um, he did good at staying out of my guard. He was uh, hard to hurt at stand-up. Um, I was just uh, had a hard time finding anything to do to get the victory in that one because of his wrestling and everything. Um that one, I think I did better in the Talos latest rematch than in the Jake Rojol one. Because the Jake Rojol one, he fucked me up every round. The Talos latest one, I actually had a great performance till I lost. Man, what are your experiences with psychedelics? The psychedelics? Um, well, I've done some mushrooms, some microdosing. I don't make a regular habit out of it, but... Um, it kind of, it's better than pharmaceutical drugs. A lot of people use it for depression or whatever. And some people just use it in micro doses where you don't get the full effect as well. I'm a big fan of the fungi, uh, not just the psychedelics, but the lion's mane mushrooms. Parisinone and arinacine, which imitates and stimulates our neural network connections and uh, my lens sheath around the neurons. There are the insulators that help speed up the conductivity and our brain cells and everything and the hippocampus. So uh, the lion's mane mushrooms and mushrooms in general and fungi are just amazing. There's actually a world war with the mushrooms. Like there's the tree sappers that are mutually beneficial to the trees and they take nutrition from their roots and break down the phosphorus and nitrogen for them. And they compete with food with the dead eaters for the nitrogen that eat like the dead wood and everything, which lion's mane mushroom is one of the dead eater ones. The psychedelic ones are dead eater mushrooms as well, I think. Yeah, 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 I'm a I'm fan a of microdosing. I, I think the world would be a different place if everybody had a little heroic dose, just one, just one heroic dose. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people get really good results from it. Um, the fungi are amazing, and the plants in general. A lot of my friends like the DMT, the spirit molecule. I haven't tried that yet. Well, I had a little bit, but I didn't really feel anything. Well, with DMT, it's, the difference between DMT and mushrooms is DMT... <laughs> Twelve minutes long. That's like five to eight minutes is our time. That five to eight minutes is about three or four lifetimes where you're going, dimension that you're going. So it's quick, and it's like it's like if you're a bear in a uh, in a river and the salmon are jumping by, and you're just trying to grab the salmon as information. To where mushrooms, you can kind of take two or three hours and under understand uh, mushrooms is pretty intense but dmt is i mean dmt you're you're right on the moon like within three seconds you're on the moon and it's you know there's no slow build up or take down it's you're right there it's not like uh salvia where because i got salvia i was so uh paranoid on like um i watched the christmas ghost thing have you ever tried salvia 
I, you know what, man? Man, I'm to be honest with you, I'm sober. I waited till I was 25 years completely sober before I tried DMT and mushrooms. And I've tried DMT three times. I've done mushrooms, a heavy dose of mushrooms once, and that's it. Like I microdose, but that that's not getting high. That's just supplementing brain activity. Yeah, moderation's good. Salvia. Yeah, yeah, I don't drink. I'm 100 sober. Uh, Salvia, it's just a weird high. Jason Miller. Unfortunately, like the last few times, I tried to accept the call and wasn't able to. Um, I don't know how long he's in for this time. He keeps doing the same thing, getting in a fight with his girlfriend. And it hasn't been anything like War Machine or Phil Baroni, thankfully. But uh, he's got like a whole lot of strikes on it. So hard to say how long until they give him another shot at letting him out or... Do you think he's battling mental issues kind of like Phil Baroni? Well, it's just a matter of uh, being used to being a rock star. And uh, once you're not in the spotlight and training anymore, you kind of got to grow up and live a reasonable, regular life. I think I should teach a class on how to be eccentric and stay out of jail. I'm pretty good at it. Yes, like, you are. Uh, step one, you be immersed in positive things and learning new things. You get in a fight with your girlfriend, you just say, All right, I'll see you tomorrow then or later. Yeah. Matt, you're an absolute pleasure. I sincerely appreciate this. I know we've been trying to coordinate this for a while, and uh, I'm glad it worked out. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you guys too. It's been uh, great talking to you. Uh, I haven't done an interview so long. It's, I'm pretty stoked to do a good interview. Cool. Appreciate Excellent. it. Thank you for your time, Matt. And we'll, care, Matt. Uh, we'll be in touch with links and send you the info when it's out there, okay? All right. Yeah, Facebook me and text me it and everything. That'll be awesome. I'll be looking forward to it. God Thanks, bless the verse. Hope you guys have a great day. Uh, great romance and victories. Everything amazing in the kingdom. Thank you, sir. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.